lead. You can't lead if you're not hearing the voice of God. Together, there is nothing that we can't do. I really believe that God has given us a sacred trust. I love to start that uh, start that out with those fake claps. So let's just clap along. Just just clap for you. Know. Yeah, see, it makes us feel better. Uh, welcome. We're so grateful that you're here. My name is Danny, and uh, you know that leadership gathering is so important for us. We do it a couple times a year. We have for the last few years. It is a powerful event. It is an event that you really will learn core leadership skills. By the way, many people feel that, you, and I know you, I know you're sitting in the seat, you're like, I don't know if I'm really a leader. I'm just going to let you know that you are. Because even if you're just leading yourself, which is one of the most difficult leadership jobs we all have, but it's one that we have to do. Uh, I'm telling you, you're a leader. If you're leading anything in this community, in this church, in your own community, in school, in workplace, all those places, you're a leader. And you can benefit from this leadership gathering. Powerful teaching. Uh, we're going to have two days uh, next Friday, the 19th. We're going to have uh, two different sessions uh, later in the day at night. And then Saturday morning, we're going to have breakout sessions where you can go and learn more intricate details about leading in particular areas of your interest. And then we come back for our final session. I'm saying do not miss this. This is awesome. Sign up for it, kensingtonchurch.org. And you can uh, find all the information or ask any of us. Well, here I have Basil Denno. Give him a big hand. Uh, Basil is our leadership, is our discipleship director for Troy. And you're going to tell us how we make this kind of big place feel smaller today. Yeah. Go ahead. So if you're wondering what all the balloons and the signage is going out, this is our connection weekend. We're really excited about this because this is our opportunity to jump in in Kensington. Jump into one of our classes. Jump into one of our groups. Or jump into one of the care ministry programs. You know, at Kensington, one of our core values is about community. And that community is about being in family together, doing life together, to be around people that will encourage us, to be around people that will hold us accountable. One of the ways that we actually measure that is that specific value is to answer the question, who are your 2 a.m. friends? Do you have 2 a.m. friends? Do you have somebody that you could pick up the phone, the, the, the phone and make a call to in an emergency when you need support? If you don't, and even if you do still, and you're still looking for a group, here's where we really want to invite you into. So what we have is we have our class. There's three things to keep in mind. We have our classes. We have Alpha, Bible Basics, Financial Peace University. We have a new class, a parenting class. We also have all of our small groups, host of them, whether it's men's, women's, mixed, couples, singles, all there as well too. And then we have our care ministry. Our care ministry, if you're, if you're uh, recovering or you're healing, you want to heal from somebody, something, celebrate recovery, grief sharing, divorce recovery, marriage mentoring, 
that's where you would go. So I want to just take a moment and introduce you to our, some of our leaders who are going to be out there. And when you leave this service, that's where you want to go to that table and see these individuals. So right here I have Melissa. If you're 1829 in that category there, yes, we have some. So Melissa is the one you would want to go see. Teresa, this is our uh, parenting class that I was just telling you about. So again, parents with children, you want to jump in there. Teresa is the one to go see. Patrick and Roz, we have a new group that has just started up called K-Friends. K-Friends is for anybody with a special needs, teen or adults. These are the two that you would want to go see there. Deborah. Deborah is leading in our women's ministry. This week kicks off all of the women's programs. Insights, which is a Bible study for women. Encounter, which is a topical study. Mops, mothers of preschool children. And then also all of our small groups that there's a whole variety of them. Deborah is the one you would want to go see there. Ed is leading our Financial Peace University. He will help you guide you to getting to be financially free. Nicole and Lisa, Alpha, such a beautiful ministry that we have that any questions that you have about the faith or you want to explore, you want to get stronger in and you want to just be around a group of people just to talk about those, these are the two that you would want to see there. Eric and our men's ministry over there at that table. Again, whether it's midsize or the groups of men, Eric's the one you want to see. And Jill over here is representing our singles groups. And then also there you'll see mixed and couples, but Jill is over at that table. All right? So really encourage all of you when you leave, come out and see one of these beautiful people. Okay? Thank you. Good. Thanks, awesome. Thank you. Well, we are excited about this series that we're in right now. Last week, we started off this series called Crave. And I'll tell you something, last week's topic really hit a nerve because I cannot tell you how many emails and messages and calls that I received when we started to talk last week of not being able to say no to your approval, meaning that we get our approval from people and not God. And knowing that our identity comes from God, not from people. And so that, man, that really hit a nerve. And I think that that was a good way to start because every topic we're going to talk about uh, this month is really kind of rooted in that kind of thinking. But today, Andrew Kim, who has uh, come on staff, he, he and his, uh, Robin and their family are here now in Michigan. He's going to be a teaching pastor uh, tr uh, right here at Troy Campus alongside me. He's going to be giving the message today, and he's going to be talking about not being able to say no to the bottle, meaning substance. And so we are really uh, excited about what God is going to do. He's going to challenge our hearts. We've got a powerful testimony at the end from a woman named Lori uh, Terry, who's just a big part of our community. So we're excited about what's, what's going to happen today. Before we do that, I want to acknowledge tomorrow, because tomorrow is Mar Martin Luther King Day. And I really do want to share something. Yesterday morning, I was sitting down in my chair when I woke up, and I decided to read again a letter from Birmingham Jail. Now, if you've never read some of the writings of Martin Luther King, they are unbelievable. You're talking about a man that stood up for the injustices in this world. So much so that he gave his life. He was an unbelievable speaker. He's an unbelievable motivator. More importantly, he had the heart of God and he stood up against the injustices of this world. And so I read that whole letter again. And I want to share some of that with you. And then I'm going to challenge you. Here's what I'm going to challenge you. Tomorrow, on Martin Luther King Day... Would you please take a few minutes out and read something? There's a ton of stuff that he wrote. 
read. I would recommend reading this letter. Anything to capture his heart. Because this was 55 years ago. This April. And it's just as relevant today. Because of the power of his words and the truth of them. I'm going to read just a couple little excerpts. This is a letter that he wrote from Birmingham jail. As he was fighting against the injustice, he got arrested and put in jail. And there were clergymen, primarily white, that, were, that came out against how he was doing this. And this is what he writes. While confined here in the Birmingham city jail, I came across your recent statement calling my present activities unwise and untimely. And I love this part. He says, seldom do I pause to answer criticism of my work and ideas. If I sought to answer all the criticisms that come across my desk, my secretaries would have little time to do anything else. But since I feel that you are men of genuine goodwill and that your criticisms are sincerely set forth, I want to try to answer your statement in what I hope will be patient and reasonable terms. He goes, I think I should indicate why I'm here in Birmingham. Of course, he was from uh, Atlanta. He says, why am I here in Birmingham? Since you have uh, been influenced by the view which argues against outsiders coming in. I am in Birmingham because injustice is here. Just as the prophets of the 8th century B.C. left their villages and carried their thus saith the Lord far beyond the boundaries of their hometowns. And just as the Apostle Paul left his village of Tarsus and carried the gospel of Jesus Christ to the far corners of the Greek and Roman world. So I am compelled to carry the gospel of freedom beyond my own hometown. Like Paul, I must constantly respond to the Macedonian call for aid. Moreover, I am cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities. I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham. Now listen to this line. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in the inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. He goes, I hope this letter finds you strong. This is how he ends it. I love it. He goes, I hope this letter finds you strong in faith. It's about a nine-page letter. I also hope that circumstances will soon make it possible for me to meet you, not as an integrationist or a civil rights leader, but as your brother in Christ. That's what he wrote. And then he ends with this. Let us all hope that the dark clouds of racial prejudice will soon pass away and the deep fog of misunderstanding will be lifted from our fear-drenched communities. And in some not-too-distant tomorrow, the radiant stars of love and brotherhood will shine over our great nation. Wow. You could read that today. Response to all kinds of stuff that are happening. It's so powerful. And so I want to encourage you. If you're in here and you're a follower of Christ, we are called to bring God's justice in this world. We are called to stand up against injustice. That's what we're called to do. And so I just want us to remember that tomorrow. And I'm challenging us to read something in honor, a life that was laid down for others and given up for others. All right? I'm going to pray, and then uh, Andrew's going to come up and share our thoughts today. Um, thank you, Lord, so much. That we freely get to gather right now in this room to worship you. There's millions of people around the world that can't do what we're doing right now. And you've given us this moment where we can gather and think about you and pray to you freely. And Father, I pray that today you move in a way that we could never think imaginable. Something beyond our imagination. 
Lord, as we start to deal with some of these cravings in our life, we start to deal with darkness. And today, Lord, your light is going to shine in that darkness. And Lord, I pray that we turn towards your life. As we turn towards your light and your life, that means our darkness and shadows are behind us. Many of us have turned away from you and we are following our own darkness. I pray against that. It says in your scripture that darkness cannot coexist in your light. I pray, Lord, that your arms are wrapped around us, that you keep this place safe. It says in your scripture that in your presence there is safety. I pray for that. And I pray, Lord, that we are set free today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you uh, to all stand up and greet someone next to you and maybe even give them a hug and make them feel a bit uncomfortable. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. If we have not met, my name is Andrew, and I am the teaching pastor here at Troy, the new teaching pastor here at Troy. Thanks so much, everyone. And I am really excited to be here. My family is really excited to be here. We moved uh, to Michigan about a week and a half ago, and we're sort of getting our bearings and trying to figure everything out, but we're thrilled to be here. And I'm so excited that you chose to be here this morning as well. But as Danny mentioned, we're in week two of our series, Crave, where we're talking about that part of our lives, that aspect of our lives that has the ability to not just influence, but rather to determine the direction and the quality of our life. And something that I know about every single one of us here in this room, as well as everybody watching online, is that for every single one of us, we all have cravings. And our cravings might be for sex, money, food, alcohol, status, approval, technology. The list goes on and on and on. But we all have cravings. We all strongly desire certain things. And there's nothing wrong with craving. There's nothing wrong with wanting something. But the problem comes when we stop being able to control our cravings and our cravings begin to control us. And if you've ever been in that place where you felt controlled, where you felt ruled, by one of your cravings, one of the questions that you've probably asked has been, can I ever be free? Can I ever experience freedom in this area of my life ever again? And we're going to hear a song that was written by our very own Danny Cox that powerfully answers this question, powerfully speaks into this issue, and it says, absolutely, it is absolutely possible to once again experience freedom. Sometimes you don't even realize why you write a song. And I remember years ago sitting down, not that long ago, and sitting at the table and said, I have something I want to write. And I just started singing kind of stream of conscious. And all these words came out and the song was done pretty quickly. And I sang it. I said, I have no idea why I just wrote this. Like no connection to it right now at all. And then as years went on, I think I, I've understood it more and more. And this song speaks to the idea of what Andrew just said. Which no matter where you are, no matter where you are in your life, no matter what you've done, there is a force, there is a person in the name of Jesus that can make things new, that can recreate you. That's what this song is about.
that an amazing song? And it so powerfully speaks into this whole issue of addiction that we're talking about in this series by asking the question of God, can you make me new? Can you set me free from this craving that I've stopped being able to control and now controls me? And if you were here with us last week, Danny kicked off the series by talking about not being able to say no to approval. And that was such an important message. It is such an important message because for so many of us here, including myself, that's something that we so deeply struggle with, wanting the approval of others even over that of God. And so if you missed that message last week, I want to invite you to go to our website, app, YouTube channel. You can listen, watch via podcast, but I want to invite you to go and check it out. But this week, what we're going to do is we're going to continue on in this series by talking about the bottle. And as Danny mentioned earlier, the bottle isn't just about, what we're going to be talking about today is not just about alcohol and drinking alcohol, but the bottle is really symbolic of substances in general. Alcohol, of course, but other substances as well. And one of the things that if you watch the news, if you read the news recently, you understand that there is an opioid epidemic in our country. In that every single day, people's lives are ruined, families are torn apart, people die every single day from opioids. And this is, some, and this is something that's been happening not just in the past few weeks, but it's been happening for a long time, quite a bit of time. And it's not just happening just out there, but it's happening right here as well, in Oakland County, in Macomb County, all across Michigan. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, our cravings for the bottle, which don't just include alcohol, but they also include uh, other substances as well. But when it comes to alcohol specifically, somebody that I know in my life who has been deeply affected by alcohol and understands personally the power that alcohol has is a friend of mine who I'm going to call Leon. And my friend Leon, he grew up in a middle-class home. And from the outside looking in, his family looked like they had it all together. All together. But Leon's family, there was an issue in Leon's family that everybody in his immediate family knew about. But the unwritten rule in his family was, don't you dare talk about it. Don't you even dare bring it up. And what that issue was, was that Leon's father was an alcoholic. But Leon's father, he wasn't angry. He wasn't abusive. He was able to maintain a good job and provide for his family. He went to church every single Sunday, was involved in the church. People loved him. But that didn't change the fact that he still struggled with this. This was still a challenge in his life. And as I mentioned, the unwritten rule in Leon's family was don't talk about it. Don't talk about it inside the family, and don't you dare mention it outside. And so as a result, nobody ever talked to Leon's dad about this. Nobody talked to him. Nobody confronted him about it. So it went on not for years, but rather for decades. My friend Leon, he eventually got married. And when he and his wife were expecting their first child, first grandchild for Leon's parents, before this child was born, Leon's father died of liver failure from having drank so much for so long. 
He basically drank himself to death. And as a result, he missed out on seeing, holding, and playing with not only that grandchild, but all the grandchildren who came afterwards. And I didn't find out about Leon's father until after he passed away. But of course, when I heard, it absolutely broke my heart. And when I also found out about Leon's father, it really destroyed my picture of what an alcoholic is. Because the picture that I had for so many years, the picture that some of you may have was about uh, concerning somebody who struggles with this is maybe similar to mine, and that the picture that I had was somebody who, who is angry, somebody who's abusive, somebody who has lost their job, their family, their marriage has fallen apart. They've lost their home, their relationships. My picture was somebody whose life is either falling apart or has fallen apart. But, for so, but not all problem drinking fits into that mold. Case in point, my friend Leon's father. Because for some people... Actually, for many people who struggle with this, their lives appear to be just fine, even while this is a challenge in their life. And what experts call these people is that they call them high-functioning alcoholics. And chances are very, very good that there are some high-functioning alcoholics here in this room, as well as watching online. And in our culture today, it's become increasingly difficult to recognize alcohol addiction. And one of the reasons why it's become so difficult is because in our culture, alcohol has become pervasive. It seems like it's everywhere now, and it seems like it's a part of almost every function that we're a part of. But another reason why alcohol addiction has become difficult to spot is because our culture in so many ways has normalized drinking. So that if you don't drink, you're the weird one, you're the anomaly, you're the odd one out. And so for both of these reasons, and there are so many other reasons, alcohol addiction is difficult to recognize even when it's happening right in front of us. And to prove this point, a French organization called Addict Aid, they conducted an experiment. And you're going to see a video about this in a moment. And in this video, you're going to see a series of Instagram posts. And my challenge to you is, is to identify the common element in every single one of these photos. So take a look. a quick show of hands. How many of you were able to spot the common element before the big reveal? How many of you? Okay, so many of you were. The first time I saw this video, I wasn't able to see it. Because honestly, the pictures that are in that commercial looked eerily, sim- familiar, or eerily similar to the pictures that I see every single day on my Instagram feed, on my Facebook feed. And so seeing that video really opened my eyes to the fact that in my mind, alcohol has become normalized as well. 
And when it comes to this topic of alcohol, there are so, people have so many different opinions. And that some people believe that, you know what, alcohol, you should never even allow it to touch your lips. Keep it as far away from you as possible because that stuff is evil. Other people believe, have a more relaxed approach, and they say, you know what, it's no big deal. But what's important for us to understand this morning is that those opinions are great. But what's important for us to understand is what does God have to say about this topic? And when you look at the scriptures, what God tells us is that he says to us when it comes, there's nothing, he tells us there's nothing wrong with alcohol and there's nothing wrong with drinking alcohol. And you see this all throughout the scriptures in that people consumed alcohol. There's even encouragements that it's okay to drink alcohol. Jesus' first miracle in the New Testament was changing water into wine. And if there was something wrong with drinking alcohol, why in the world would he have done that? So there's nothing wrong with alcohol. There's nothing wrong with drinking alcohol. But when you look at the scriptures, what God tells us is that there is something wrong with drinking alcohol in excess. There is something wrong with abusing alcohol because of what happens when we do. And there is this book in the Old Testament of the Bible called Proverbs. And this is one of the things that it says in that book. It says, wine produces mockers. Alcohol leads to the brawls. Those led astray by drink cannot be wise. And it's talking in this verse about the conduct of somebody who's inebriated. And that someone who's intoxicated, what happens is, is that when we are intoxicated as people, we tend to lose control and we tend to make bad decisions. And so the conclusion of that verse is, you know what? That's just not a good way to live. That's an unwise way to live because why would you ever want to conduct yourself in that way? There's another verse in the New Testament in this book called Ephesians that says it very plainly as well. It says, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be drunk with wine because when we're intoxicated, we tend to lose control and we tend to make bad decisions that it says will ruin our lives. And chances are, maybe you've experienced this personally, maybe you know somebody who've experienced this, Uh, somebody who had one too many drinks and they made a bad decision while they were intoxicated. And that decision may have been sexually, it could have been financially, materially, relationally. It could have been that after they had one too many drinks, they said, you know what, I'm okay. And they got behind the wheel of their car and they drove. And it says in this verse that we just read, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. But when we're intoxicated, it has the, it has the ability, it has the potential, not just ruin our lives, but the lives of the people around us. Think about all those people who's ha- who've, have had one too many drinks, gotten behind the wheel, gotten into an accident, and not only have their lives been affected, but that other person's life as well, sometimes forever. And so God tells us there's nothing wrong. He tells us in the scriptures, there's nothing wrong with alcohol. There's nothing wrong with drinking alcohol. But there is something wrong with drinking it in excess. There is something wrong with abusing it because of what happens when we do. And so then the big question is, how much is too much? And another question that's very, very important for us to ask this morning is, how do you know if you have a problem? How do you know if this craving for alcohol, you no longer are able to control it, but that is now controlling you? And to answer this, Jack Wilson, who's a licensed psychologist, and as a licensed psychologist, Jack has counseled literally thousands of people. He's also a life coach. He works with high-end athletes. But Jack's done a lot in his life. 
But what Jack, you're going to see a video um, with Jack in a moment. But Jack has some incredible insights when it comes to the bottle. But before we watch the video, our ushers are going to come forward and they're going to receive the offering this morning. And if you're new with us here today, if you are a guest, please do not feel any obligation to give because this does not have to be your moment. Instead, what we'd love for you to do if you're a guest with us is to go out into the lobby after the service is over and to drop by a table that we call Starting Point. And you'll also see people with orange t-shirts that say Starting Point right there. And we'd love for you to have a conversation as to how you can get better connected into our community. But check out this video with Jack because he has some incredible things to say, not only about the bottle, but not only about alcohol, but substances in general. Let's take what you just said and apply it to like alcohol. Sure. When is that a problem? Let's talk about predisposition first. Right. Yeah. I think it's really, really important that people understand uh, that this isn't settled science. Okay. It's, but the trend line has been around for a very, very long time, uh, and, and it influences my thinking to the level that I truly believe that a certain percentage of the population are physiologically predisposed uh, to developing addictions, whether it's a alcohol or marijuana or a controlled substance, uh, we're physiologically predisposed. And the best way to figure out whether you're physiologically predisposed is to look at your family history. You know, take a look at that family tree, you know, and see if there are people in your past uh, who um, have had problems with drinking or, or whatever, because that used to be the term that was used. Uh, and if there is, then for you, drinking is something that you really should not be cavalier about. It's something that you should really be paying some attention to, because if you have a physiological predisposition, then you're going to move through uh, recreational, moderate drinking, uh, to irresponsible drinking and addiction much more quickly than someone who doesn't have a physiological predisposition. Now, obviously, somebody like me, you know, I look mm -hmm. at my family tree, mm -hmm. right. and I have two alcoholic parents. Mm -hmm. For decades, I never even thought about it. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I can drink a beer, right. I can drink whatever, it's right. no big deal. You would have immediately said to me, Dude, be very, very careful with this. Exactly. Everybody should be careful, but especially somebody with a background yeah, like mine. Absolutely. So what do I do? Uh, well, in your situation, uh, I, would have, I would have said to you that you need to be aware of the fact that becoming intoxicated is just not safe for you. Mm. If you were to drink even moderately, uh, then I would say there's a better than a 60% chance that you would have triggered uh, your physiological predisposition. And we'd be talking about some kind of a recovery issue. And I've heard you say in the past the analogy of uh, playing Russian roulette with predisposition. Talk about that. Yeah, when we have a predisposition, um, the higher that predisposition is, when we look at our family history, you know, both your parents have a substance abuse issue, then the likelihood that four out of, if there are five kids in the family, like my family, uh, the probability is that four out of those five kids are physiologically predisposed. Uh, and then if the grandparents you know, have, a, you know, have an issue, and the aunts and the uncles. So the more people you have in your family tree uh, or the more, uh, more culturally relevant it is for you uh, and you're playing Russian roulette and you're spinning the cylinder, okay, if you don't have a physiological predisposition, yeah, you can probably develop alcoholism. It's not likely, but it's probably good. But let's say you have one bullet in the cylinder, but if all of those factors that I just described to you are there, then you've got five bullets um, in there, and there's only six spots. Yeah. You know? So the higher the 
issue is there in terms of, of number of people, then oh, we get, better be careful with this Russian roulette thing. What would you say to the person sitting out here that says, I don't really have a problem with drinking? Maybe they do, maybe they don't, but they really honestly don't think they have a problem. How does a person know? Well, the, one of the biggest issues in terms of the way you know is the feedback that you're getting from the people around you. You know, if you have people saying to you, uh, I think you should um, cut back on your drinking, well, pay attention to them, see what they're saying. Uh, if you're in a circumstance or situation where family members, colleagues, whatever, have said to you something about your drinking and you got angry about it, well, pay attention to what, to what, they're, what they're saying. You know? uh, if there's a circumstance or situation in which you feel guilty about your drinking, well, pay attention to that. Uh, and, uh, and if you're in a circumstance or a situation where at any point in time you've ever uh, had a hangover and you wake up the next morning and, you've, and you convince yourself that you need an eye-opener to get the day going, mm. what I just did was what's called the CAGE, C-A-G-E, uh, and it's taught to physicians and, and therapists uh, to get an introductory idea in terms of if you say yes to two of those four questions, then we need to have a chat about whether you're drinking irresponsibly or perhaps you're in a circumstance or situation where you've already what we call tipped over mm. into addiction. Now walk through the cage again. I'd love to hear the C-A-J-G-E okay. explained. Okay. Have you ever tried to cut back? Okay. So that's the C. That's the C. Have you ever been angry you know, um, when someone questioned your drinking? Mm. Have you ever felt guilty, that's the G, about your drinking, and have you ever had an eye, what's called an eye-opener, you know, a, a drink early in the day um, to, to help you to have fewer um, anxiety issues or, or fewer symptoms of, of hangover. So that's the cage. Talk about, I remember a decade ago or so when we talked about alcohol, you talked about the 30-day sort of test. Mm -hmm. Talk about that. Yeah, this is something that's kind of idiosyncratic to me. Uh, in that when someone says to me, well, how do I know if I have a drinking problem? My response is don't drink for 30 days and come back and talk to me. Mm -hmm. well, let's talk about how it goes. And I found over the years that um, I've done that, you know, I don't know how many people. And um, it really is a very good predictor or indicator of what role alcohol uh, is, is playing in their life if they just try to go, okay, 30 days, not going to drink. And for most folks that I've talked to, ah, it's easy, it'll be a piece of cake, don't worry about it, you know, kind of thing. And occasionally it is. But if they asked me that question, see, it fits right in the cage thing. Mm -hmm. They asked me that question, that's telling me, well, this is worth taking another look at this. You know? So try it for 30 days, and then let's talk. Jack's amazing. He's so straightforward, he's honest, he's clear. Um, has such incredible wisdom. That CAGE acronym is something that's so easy to remember. And as you just heard, that if you say yes, if you said yes to two out of those four, you might want to look into that. He also talks about if you even suspect that you have an issue, you have an issue with a bottle, whether it's alcohol or some other substance, just for the next 30 days, don't take a drink, don't use that substance if you can and just try it for the next 30 days. And if you can get through the next 30 days, great, fantastic. But if you can't, you've learned something about yourself that could change your life forever and potentially the lives of the people around you. And so if you're here today and you suspect maybe this might be an issue in my life 
Or maybe you're sitting there or you're watching online and you know this is an issue in your life. Before I get to talking about anything else, next steps, this is what you should do if you want to experience greater freedom in your life. I believe there's a question that you have to answer. And this is the question that I would like to pose to you this morning. And it's not my question, but rather it's a question that Jesus first asked a man more than 2,000 years ago. And it's found in the scriptures, in the New Testament, in the book of John, in John chapter 5. And this is what it says. Since John chapter 5, sometimes, sometime later, John went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. So John sort of sets up the scene for us. And he tells us that in the city of Jerusalem, way back in the first century AD, there was this pool that was called Bethesda. And this pool was located, where it was located in the city of Jerusalem was near, near the Sheep Gate. Because we have to understand that back in the first century, the city of Jerusalem was surrounded by a wall. And this wall prevented enemies and invaders and just come, from coming and just attacking the city. But in this wall, there were various gates all around the city where people could, could go in and out. And there was this one gate that was called the Sheep Gate, where people would bring sheep into the city to be sacrificed at the temple. And it was near this gate that this pool called Bethesda was located. And this pool, as it says, as we read, it had five covered colonnades, meaning five columns that held up a roof that would provide shade for the people who would come there every single day. The blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. These are the people who would come to this pool and hang out around this pool every single day. And the reason why they came was because they believed a legend. A legend that said that an angel would come and an angel would stir the water. And after the angel did this, the first person into the water would be miraculously healed. And so these people with all of these physical ailments, they so desperately wanted to be healed. So they came every single day hoping that this would happen. And it says that one day, John tells us that Jesus was in Jerusalem and he was hanging out at this pool. And in verse 5, it tells us that Jesus met a man there, a man who had been an invalid for 38 long years. And scholars believe that in addition to not being able to walk, this man, he suffered from a whole host of other physical ailments. And so Jesus is how he has met this man. And it's what it says is that when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him a question. And the question that Jesus asked this man, remember, he's just met him. And when you read this question, it seems to be one of the most ridiculous questions ever asked in human history. Because this man, he had been struggling with, this, with all of these conditions for 38 years. He was coming to this pool every single day, hoping that the angel would come down, stir up the water, and he would be the first one in so that he could be healed. And so to this man... The question that Jesus asks him is, do you want to get well? Thank you, Captain Obvious. Great question, Jesus. That's exactly the question that I think I would have asked him. He asked him, do you want to get well? Now, Jesus, of course, being Jesus, we got to give him the benefit of the doubt. Because he is the Son of God and he knows everything. So there must have been a reason, a good reason, why Jesus asked this man this question. And there was. Because, as we read, this man had been struggling 
with these various physical ailments for almost 40 years, for almost four decades. And if you've ever done anything for that long, if you've ever done anything for 38 years, even if it's not something that you enjoy or particularly like, there's a familiarity that develops, a comfort that develops. And I can imagine, even for this man, there was a level of comfort that developed, even with his physical condition. Because 38 years of living like this, he knew exactly his boundaries, he knew exactly his limitations, he knew exactly what he could and could not do. He had his daily routines, he knew exactly what he had to do, and he, exact, and he knew exactly the people who he needed to get through the day. And then Jesus shows up, and Jesus asks him this question, do you want to get well? And saying yes to this question would disrupt his entire life, his entire routine, his entire way of doing things. Because if he said yes to Jesus' question of, do you want to get well, it meant that he would have to let go. It would mean he would have to let go of what he knew, of what was comfortable, of what was familiar. He would have to let go of control and choose to trust and follow Jesus into the unknown. And that's a scary thing. Even because, you know what? None of us like doing that. I don't like doing that, and I bet you don't like doing that as well. We don't like giving up control, even if we're giving up control to Jesus and following him to places that we don't know. Because you know what happens when we do? Oftentimes, scary things happen, like moving to Michigan in January. I don't know who's done that, but scary things like that happen when you say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to follow you, you go, and I'm right there behind you. Scary things like that happen. But that's what it required for this man to let go and say, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you more than I trust myself, and I will follow you. The thing with Jesus was, was that he understood that this was the best thing for this man, the best thing, because it would provide freedom and healing in his life, but he wasn't going to force it on him, which is why he asked him the question, do you want to get well? And if you're here, or if you're watching online, and you know that this may be an issue in your life, the bottle, or maybe you're sitting here, maybe you're watching, thinking, no, this is an issue in my life. I believe this is the first question that you have to answer. This is such an important question. Do you want to get well? And please understand, saying yes will require something of you. It will require you to let go to let go of what's familiar, to let go of what's comfortable, to let go of what you've known for all that time, to let go of control and choose to trust and to follow Jesus into the unknown. But I believe that saying yes to this question will be, is the first step to experience freedom, experiencing freedom in your life. So, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And if your answer to that question is yes, there are two things that I would love for you to do today before you leave, to recognize, to admit. The first thing that you have to do is that if, you answered, if your answer to that question was yes, I do want to get well, Jesus, something that you have to admit, the first thing is that you have to admit that if you want to experience freedom in your life and take steps towards freedom is that you have to admit that you cannot do it by yourself. You cannot beat this by yourself and that you need God. Because we are powerless. 
And somebody who knew and understood and recognized their powerlessness very, very well was the Apostle Paul in the Scriptures. And Paul wrote a huge portion of the New Testament. This is what he writes in the book of Romans. He says this, And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. He understood that he was completely powerless. That even the good things that he so desperately wanted to do, he didn't have the power to do those things. And just like Paul, we're powerless as well. But later on in the New Testament, Paul gives us some incredible news. Because he says that when we say yes to God, when we say, God, I need you, when we say, God, we need you, what God does is that he works in us. Because Paul writes, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. One of the things that I believe that pleases God is for us as his people to live in freedom and to move towards freedom in our lives every single day in a greater way. And it says that when we want to do that, when we have, when we desire to take those steps, what God will give us is that he will give us greater desire and he will give us the power to be able to make that a reality in our lives. It's an incredible promise. But the first thing that we have to do is that we have to admit that we need God. But at the same time, what we also have to admit is that we have to admit that we need others. Because we were never, ever designed as human beings to do this life on our own. And in the book of James, which is also in the New Testament, James says something extraordinary. And that he says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Do these two things so that you may be healed, he writes. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So James, who wrote these words, he tells us to do two things. First of all, he says, if you're struggling with sin, or if in this case, what we're talking about this morning, if you're struggling with the bottle, if that's you, he says, tell somebody. Tell someone what you're going through, which is another great reason to jump into a group, to have that 2 a.m. friend that you can tell some, this to, to tell something to. And he says, tell someone. Because you know what? When you tell someone, something powerful happens. It takes whatever you're going through, and it takes it from the darkness, and it exposes it to the light. And when you tell someone, what that person can also do for you is that that person can keep you accountable. That person can ask you the hard questions. But in addition to that, what that person can also do is what James also is telling us to do here in this verse that we just read. And that that person can also pray for you. And James says, you know what prayer is? Prayerful. Prayer is powerful and effective. Not because you and I are powerful and effective, but rather because the one we are praying to is powerful and effective. And if we truly believe that God is the only one, he's the only one who can set us free, then why wouldn't we want to be connected to him in a greater way? And so if your answer to that question of do you want to get well is yes, the next two steps that I would invite you to take today is to recognize and admit that you need God and also that you need others. And as I was thinking about it yesterday and today and just having conversations, I realized that what we're talking about today, that question, do you want to get well? And also admitting that we need God and others just doesn't apply to the bottle, but really any craving that has taken over our life. 
whether it's people-pleasing, whether it's body image, whether it's technology, which we're talking about all of those things in this series, whether it's something else. But if you want to be free, I believe the first question that you have to answer is that question that Jesus asked. Do you want to get well? And then to recognize and to admit that if we want to experience freedom in our lives, we cannot do it ourselves. We need God, and we need the help of others. And someone who has actually lived and experienced what we're talking about this morning is Lori. And Lori, I want to invite you up. As Lori comes up, let's give her a huge hand, everyone. Thanks so much for being here, Lori. And Lori has an incredible, incredible story, that, which she's going to share with us this morning. And it's a story that, uh, that started many, many years ago. And it started with her answering that question, do you want to get well? And her admitting that she needed God and also that she needed others. So Lori, thank you so much thank for you. being here. Appreciate that. Hi, my name is Lori. I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I celebrate victory over alcoholism. Many years, I have felt powerless over a lot of things. One of the things that I felt powerless over was alcohol. Alcohol was what I craved, or so I thought. And that physiological disposition that Jack spoke of, I believed that I was doomed before I even started. My mother died at 52. She drank herself to death. My grandmother also struggled with alcohol and died early. My father was a heroin addict, and he, I never met him. He went to prison and died before I could ever know who he was. My upbringing left me feeling ill-equipped. I had anxiety, fear of failure. Just the pressures of life were unbearable. I wanted to disappear, and I chose to disappear into a bottle. The, the abuse, emotional neglect, and sexual violations were unbearable. The hole in my soul just continued to yearn and long. There was something inside of me that needed quenching. My craving was actually for safety, validation, direction, belonging, worth, just simply to stop the pain. It left me yearning and longing for years. I had an empty spirit. My drinking led me to almost lose everything, my life, my children, my job, even my dignity. All of the accumulations that I had over the years were never enough. Relationships, marriage, never enough. So I drank. I drank when I was happy and I drank when I was sad. I drank when I was angry and I drank when I was bored. I drank when I was scared. I drank to wind down and I drank to turn up. Nothing ever, it didn't matter how much I drank, it couldn't quiet the voice that I heard inside of me telling me that you are a failure. You are a failure as a wife. You're a failure as a mother. You are a failure as an employee and a friend. You are a failure as a good Christian. You are a failure as a human being. Those words went on in my head all of the time. I also heard girls like you, they never ever are successful. Girls that grew up like you never have the good things. This destructive drinking led to my desperation. It also led me right here to this church campus on a Monday night where they have Celebrate Recovery. 
Celebrate Recovery helped me to see that Jesus Christ had a different life waiting for me. I didn't go willingly. I went to make other people believe that I, I was admitting that I had a problem. wasn't sure yet. <clears throat> but while I was there, I learned I was powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing. I was powerless over everything. By way of Celebrate Recovery, I was able to answer that question that Andrew asked. I said, yes, Jesus, I do want to be healed. Jesus showed me that the, the transformational truth that I am weak, but he is strong. He is strong in his will, and I can have his will if I just say yes. Surrendering to his ways because his ways are higher. His ways are deeper. I was able to stop drinking 10 years ago this month. When I, when I stopped, my eyes were opened to the life that my creator truly had for me. I am now a Christian life coach, a relationship coach, a mentor, a speaker, and a teacher. The process of overcoming my craving, not just for alcohol, but for perfectionism, approval, attention, value, worth, all of that started to lessen and lessen as I learned the healing work that was done on the cross. Jesus Christ hung on a cross so that I could be free. Jesus Christ hung on a cross and saw my face when he died. He hung on a cross so that I could be free to choose life and free to choose love and free to choose him. I understand that my biological DNA says that I was predispositioned to be a failure and be an alcoholic, but the minute I chose Jesus Christ to be the savior of my life, that DNA changed. The blood that flows through my veins now is that of Jesus Christ, and I am a victor. I will never be the same because I'm not the same person. And that radical love that God had for me where he sent his son to the cross, it has redeemed me. My children are forgiving me. I'm engaged to an amazing man of God that loves and adores me, and my career is flourishing. God restores all things back to him. John 16.33 says, Take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus Christ has overcome this world even though we feel like, he, feel like it's too much. I am now alcohol-free, smoking-free, people-pleasing-free, approval-seeking free. I am chosen, I am wanted, I am gifted, and I'm loved, and so are you. Thank you.
If you're here today and you're struggling with that craving, a huge step that I would love for you to take before you even leave this building. Don't leave this building if you're even thinking about it. If you're thinking maybe it is a struggle in my life or you're thinking it is a struggle in my life. Before you even leave here this morning, 
I love for you to consider. I want to invite you to take that courageous step and be a part of one of the most honest, one of the most extraordinary communities that we have here at Kensington. And that's called Celebrate Recovery. And Celebrate Recovery is a program that provides support and hope for the hurts, the habits, and the hang-ups of life. And it happens right here at Troy on Monday nights, and it happens at Orion on Tuesdays. And it's not just for adults, but it's also for students as well. And the people who are part of Celebrate Recovery, they're not just people who struggle with alcohol and drugs, but about a third of the people there do struggle with those things. But the rest, there are other things, whether it's codependency, where you struggle with control and anxiety because of somebody else, whether it's family of origin issues that you want to break free of, whatever it may be for you. If there's a craving that you no longer control, but you know it controls you, I want to invite you to go and to be a part of that extraordinary ministry. Because in Celebrate Recovery, one of the things that they recognize is that they recognize the path to healing is a journey. For most people, it's not an instantaneous event, but it is a journey. And there are incredible people who are part of this ministry that on your journey, on that journey, they will walk with you, they will encourage you, they will support you, they will cry with you, and they will pray for you. And so if that is you here today, before you leave this building, I'd love for you to have a conversation with someone, with somebody from Celebrate Recovery. And there's a table in the back of the lobby that has the word care on it. And I'd love for you to stop by that table and to take that step. But I also want to mention that we're going to be in this series for another two weeks. And in two weeks, one of the, in the next two weeks, what I'd love for you to be thinking and praying about is something that you want to surrender to God this year. Because in two weeks, on the final weekend of this series, we're going to provide an opportunity for everybody to bring up a token. A token that symbolizes something that you want to surrender to God in 2018. And as I was thinking about this past week, what should my token be? I was thinking, I can surrender a lot of things. I can surrender my phone. I think my family would love it. And so most of the people in my life would love it. But as I was thinking about it, what came to mind was a weight, a, a dumbbell, a barbell. Because something that I've struggled with for so long is body image, which we're going to be talking about next week. But what is it for you? What is it that you want to surrender to God this year? It might be something to do with body image. It might be uh, technology. It might be the bottle. But what is it that you want to surrender? Be thinking, be praying about it, and bring that item in two weeks. And so before I close in prayer, if you would like to receive prayer today, somebody to pray for you, somebody to pray with you, our prayer team will be at the front. I want to invite you to go uh, remind you about Celebrate Recovery and also in the lobby. If you want to jump in to a small group, get more connected at Kensington this year, I'd love for you to get connected and have that conversation out in the lobby. So before we go, let's bow our heads. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you, Lord, that there is freedom in you. Freedom can be found in you. And that's what you desire for us as your people, to live in that manner, not to be controlled by our cravings, but to live free. God, but to take that first step requires a huge amount of courage, God. And so for the people in this room, whether it's the bottle, whether it's approval, technology, whatever it may be, if you've shown us a craving that we no longer control but now controls us, I pray, Lord, that you would show us how and give us the courage to take that first step towards freedom, that first step towards you. So thank you, God, so much. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.